to be in Matthew uh, chapter 28 today. Before we uh, dive in there, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to, but I have a series of questions that I'm going to ask okay, So the, before we start, and you should have the answers for them, I hope. Okay, so the, the questions are going to go like this. There's just a few of them. Starbucks makes, fill in the blank. Yes! Okay, good. Okay, all right. Five Guys makes burgers and fries. Rolex makes Hey, man. Y'all have watches of Rolex? That's cool. Uh, Chevy makes awesome trucks. I'm a little bit biased. American Eagle makes Yes. Mylan Pharmaceutical makes Overpriced Medicine. Samsung makes everything. DeWalt makes Yes, you guys know that one. And the church makes, hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. We're going to read about that in Matthew 28 today. And before we begin, let's just go ahead and pray and dive into the Word. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak today. Thank you for everybody here. Please bless them for coming out in the rain today. Um, God, you have a full house and you've made it clear to me that you have something to give to everyone who draws near to you today. God, you have made it clear that you are going to give it. You will give it. I know that you will. You're not going to give it in pieces. You are the king, and you give to your servants. You give to us. God, I ask for your Holy Spirit today. I ask that he fills in the blanks of everything that you wish to communicate to these people today. I just ask that your spirit does the teaching today. Use my words. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came to them and said to them, Man, this is so cool. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Flip back right in verse 18. Jesus' last words. This is the last chapter of Matthew. This is the last thing that Jesus commands before he makes heaven his primary residence. He's lived roughly 33 years on earth. Earth has been his primary residence. He left the throne of God. He left the throne of heaven and earth, came to earth, submitted himself to a human body, came down, lived, was brutally murdered without reason. He lived perfectly. He had no reason for execution. He died drastically, unjustly, for our sins, and then he was uh, buried three days, rose from the dead, and after he rose from the dead, this is what he says. He's never said anything like this before. Never. Philippians 2 shows I never used his status on earth until now. Until now. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You thought Putin was somebody? 
You think Kim Jong-un's somebody to be afraid of? You think, you think the election's that big of a deal? I know who holds the power. All authority, he says. All authority. On his thigh, right now, as we speak, is tattooed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the only one with that title. There is no other King of Kings. Every leader is under his authority now. No one else has come here, died, rose themselves from the dead. Jesus did, and he says, now I'm the king. This passage is called the Great Commission. The word commission in our government means an executive order from the president to another branch or another group to um, execute a task. This is our commission. This is our king. And this is our commission. To go, therefore, since he is the king, and make disciples of all nations. Disciples. We're not here to build immaculate buildings. We're not here for any other reason but to make disciples. I used to work at Chick-fil-A, and it was a lot of fun. I've never had such you know, good food in my life, because I ate there every day. It was amazing. It was the Lord's food. There is healing properties in Chick-fil-A. This is true. This is true. I give you facts. Um, but I was thinking about this the other day, and this might be a little bit funny, but I was thinking about this, and if, if when I was working at Chick-fil-A, if I, on the clock, made a hamburger and, like, brought it out to sell it, it would be, like, okay, if you've worked at, if you've known Chick-fil-A advertising, this is just hilarious. Because if you took a burger out and tried to sell it, there would be so many cows like lined up, like ready to trample you with all of their signs made. They'd be like, eat more chicken and Drew, because he made a burger on the clock at Chick-fil-A. If I made a burger at Chick-fil-A, that's only going to help myself. We can't do anything with that. It's not even on our POS system. So we can't sell it. We can't charge anybody for it. Odds are I'm going to be the one that ends up eating it. And... All, the, all my work was just for myself. It didn't benefit anybody. So how many of us come to church, come to life group, come to uh, connect group, come to Chi Alpha, come to Young Life, whatever groups we have identified here within our, our church, and you've just been flipping burgers? Because the command from the king says to make disciples, not burgers. Think about every, every resource we have. We use this building. We use everything. We use our bank accounts. We use our time. For the king, if it's for the king, you're making disciples. Right? Our goal as a church here is not to pad up our bank account as much as we can. That's not why we ask you to tithe. Our goal here as a church is really... The only reason we put AC in the back of the building? Guys, we want families to be here. That's a good expense. We want kids to be able to stand in the nursery without sweating so that their parents can come here, get plugged in, and be discipled. That's why we do things. That's, why, that's the reason for everything that we do here is we make disciples. So this, let's talk about this word disciple for a minute. It's, it's kind of like, for all of us in church, it's kind of like, oh, yes, disciple. Yes, we know disciple. We are disciple. We, 
We know all about disciples. We are everything that we need to know about disciples. And for those of us that have not grown up in church, though, there's, if you're in the secular world, you, you never use this word. It's just weird. If I, I used to work in landscaping, too, and when I would hire somebody, I, maybe I'll do it one day because it'll be funny, but, like, if I hired somebody after the job interview, I'd just be like, hey, you can be my disciple in landscaping. And it would be like... Can you just call me like a grunt or like a laborer or like anything else but that? That's just weird. We, we were in the hospital the other day, and this doctor comes in with like 10, 12 students. And if he would have came in and been like, hello, I'm your doctor, and here are my 12 disciples. We're going to take care of your daughter. <laughs> I would have said no. <laughs> what cult are you a part of? And please go away. Somebody else can help me. So... <laughs> Yeah, so we don't, I mean, it's a, it's a foreign word in the secular world, right? But that's where discipleship happens. This, what I'm doing here, this is kind of discipleship, but this is not discipleship. I'm not going to disciple you from the pulpit. It's more than that. A lot more. And we've been missing it. But we're not going to anymore. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a noun and a verb and if there's one thing I know about the Bible, if you want to know what something is not or how not to do something, you look right at Jesus' disciples, okay? So, yes, this is fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be in Matthew 15 here in just a second. Um, so, disciple, back in, we, we have a totally different culture in a sense because if you take a church job, it's almost like a vow of poverty. Back in the day, um, and also here in America, we have a huge like separation church and state. You've all heard that. That's why like the Ten Commandments and government buildings is a huge deal. Can't have any church and state affiliation things. Well, back in the day, the church was with the state. We see that the Pharisees, who were supposed to be the religious leaders, had enough influence and power to have Jesus killed. The Sadducees were the ones that were directly in bed with government, and all uh, these groups, they knew, so like if you took a church job, it wasn't the vow of poverty. It was like, uh, dude, you get the 401k, you get the health care plan that you want, you get a food allowance, a housing allowance. It's a good deal. It's a really good deal. So it, it always puzzled me too, because in Matthew 4, it, Jesus called Andrew, James, Peter, and John to him. And he said, and the, and the Bible says that they immediately left their nets. And I always just assumed, and I was like, does Jesus just have this, like, tractor beam suck you right in thing that's just like, follow me, okay. <laughs> I must. Well, I, I don't really think that's it, because what these people, they knew that Jesus was a rabbi, they knew he was a teacher, they knew he was a religious person, and that he probably had an in with the in crowd. He probably had some power. So when the disciples left, they thought they were probably getting a pay raise. They thought they were probably set for life. They thought they were moving up in the world. They said, boy, this is a good status move. You know, it says that they left their father in the boat, and it doesn't say that their father came out running after them. Why? Probably because the dad actually liked his sons, and he was like, you mean my boys don't have to fish for dinner? They can go take that job? They're moving up in the world? <laughs> go with that guy. <laughs> yeah, guys. Hey, don't, I've you know, spent 50 years in a boat, and all I've got to show for it is a nice tan. I mean, y'all get out there. It wasn't so crazy. Normally, everything in the Bible is not as crazy as you think once you put yourself 
in those shoes. So these disciples started out with Jesus, not because they were super spiritual, not because they were great people or were like tractor beamed in. They just likely thought, hey, this is going to be better because the church people have status. The church people have power. So more of that. We're going to look at a scenario in this that helps me kind of learn that. 15, 1 through 12. I think it'll be on the screen here. Um, Matthew 15, 1 through 12. Then the Pharisees, these people that have their own disciples too, and scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For We got them. We got for they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, seriously? Like, these Pharisees have to come up with something. They're clearly jealous of Jesus because he's got too many followers. He's got too many of this, too many of that. And, you know, they're just, they're really just jealous. I mean, it's silly and it's sad. But Jesus, seeing that these Pharisees are trying to, like, kind of pick at his disciples, trying to, like, convert maybe his disciples, trying to get them back on their side, Jesus goes off goes off. And Jesus answered them, verse 3, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what, would have, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor hypocrite father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus calls the crowd to himself. Right in front of these people, he says, Hey, he called the people to him, verse 10, and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. That's a great teaching, but what we're looking at is the scenario here, okay? Jesus just drops, like, the first official Jesus juke ever, like, on the Pharisees, drops the mic, and be like, don't you pick on my disciples. They're mine. They're with me. Don't you pick on them. The Pharisees had, like, a big, they called it the yoke of the Pharisees, and it was a huge long list of how they could make sure that they never broke the law because they would only have God in their life if they never broke the law. It was sad, and Jesus said, no. So if you're a disciple and you're just, you know, loving Jesus, what do you think your response would be after Jesus just like, don't mess with my, my people? I'd be like, God, thanks, man. I, I didn't wash my hands. And these people of power, they saw it. And, like, I was embarrassed because that is what we should do. Like, that is every, it's understood that's the law. Like, you do wash your hands. We, we didn't get, so they didn't say that. Verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Really? That's what you say to the guy that just goes, on your behalf? Why? Because these disciples are like, dude, those are the people we thought we were going to be in with. Those are the people of power. Those are the people of status. They have so many followers on Instagram. They have like everything that they post has like instant 100 likes or like 12 or like a lot. Like, <laughs> guys, it's so easy though to make fun of the Pharisees, but take a second and, and look at your social media page. That's your own newspaper. That's where all of us get our news for the most part social media the new newspaper are you 
acting on there just for your status? Guys, there is a king that has all of authority, both in heaven and on earth. And it's one thing to make a person famous. That creates a celebrity. It's another thing to make a king famous. That makes a kingdom. There is, it's one thing to lift high a man. It's another thing to lift high a king. Is everything that you're doing revolved around making a king famous or creating a celebrity? As the church, we're not here to create celebrities. We have one king, and he's not even a celebrity. He is the king. He didn't put celebrity. He didn't put Hollywood star on his leg. He put king of kings. And we make our king famous by making disciples. Disciples that choose service over status. We're not going to get wrapped up in how many likes we have. We're not going to get wrapped up in how many followers we have. We're not going to get wrapped up in anything but exhausting our resources to make disciples and make great our king. So disciple, that word, we know what it's not. It's not somebody that's just there to inflate their status, somebody that's just there to make themselves or another man famous. Not me, not Justin, our king, right? A disciple is a noun and a verb, right? Jesus spent 27 chapters, 27 and like a half chapters in Matthew making disciples. Why? Because he wanted to make them the noun disciple before he makes them the verb disciple. Two different meanings, noun and a verb. Disciple, follower of Jesus. We see in Acts eleven twenty six that we would all be called disciples of Jesus. We're first called Christians in Antioch. So really, what is a disciple? It's a Christian. That's the noun. And God cares so much more about you being the noun before he cares about you doing the verb. You have to be a disciple to do discipling. We have to address the noun first. So Acts 11.26, we know a disciple is just a Christian. When did you become a Christian? Because you have no business reading Matthew 28 until you address your noun problem. I'll tell you when I became a Christian, this might be a long story, but, and I've never really shared this publicly before, now it's recorded, so that's a lot of fun, but, and it's not, it's not a pretty picture. Um, so, in my high school years, I was totally, totally lost. I, I loved to drink, I loved to smoke, my weekends and really every like minute outside of school was just spent in a parking lot listening to music, smoking cigarettes, and getting alcohol for the weekend or that night, whichever one really needed first. That was me. I was addicted to tobacco. I might as well have been addicted to alcohol because it consumed everything that I wanted. I would steal this stuff. It was so important. So... If you would have asked me then, was I a Christian, I probably would have said yes, I'm fine. I'm for sure going to heaven because I'm not that bad. But there was somebody in my life that knew I wasn't okay. And that was my parents. And I treated them horribly, and there was no peace between me and my parents whatsoever. It was, I was probably grounded for a year before I finally 
follow Jesus, and grounding was them trying to keep me inside and not do anything stupid, which I would just run out the door, and that didn't really work. Um, so things with my parents were not there. If we talked for more than just a few sentences, it was instantly a fight. I was mad. They were upset. The picture was never good. But one, one day, the last fight that we've ever had went like this. I was cutting a piece of bread in the kitchen. Don't know why I was cutting bread. I just was. And my dad brought some sort of scripture to me that all I heard was, Drew's a terrible kid, and yada, 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 and yada, yada, yada. So I got mad, and I smacked the counter with the knife three times, put big dents in the counter, like destroyed my dad's property, and my dad says, Drew, you need to calm down, or I'm just going to call the cops. And I said, oh, really? You're going to call the cops on your own boy? Okay, do it. Do it. And my dad says, I don't want to. And I said, all right, what's going to make you do it? So I just turned over the trash can. Trash goes all over the floor. Do it now, Dad. I don't think my dad thought I was going to call his bluff because he didn't want to do it. So then I just went over to a kitchen chair, just toppled the chair on the ground. I said, dad, do it now, Dad. I, okay. So he calls the cops on me. Cops come, take me to the squad car, talk to me for a few minutes, and they say, give me one good reason I shouldn't take you to jail right now. And I said, because I'm not as bad as they say I am. They said, buddy, we've been here five minutes. I can tell you you're worse than they say you are. So I just tuned him out, didn't care what he had to say. Didn't benefit me. Didn't inflate my status. Couldn't fool him. So they didn't take me that time. They went back in. I went back in. They left. So I, I was grounded from my car and my cell phone. So I took my mom's phone off the counter, went to the my car in the driveway that had like one of those lock bar things on the steering wheel because I would just make a lot of keys of the car to just drive off when I wanted to and then my dad got smart and that was a bummer. Um, so here I am, pathetic as can be, my own parents just called the cops on me. I'm not happy about it. I steal my mom's phone off the counter, go to the driveway, sit in my car, lock the doors and then my dad comes out after the cops have already been here, now they're gone, my dad comes out and says, Drew, you need to come inside. I said, Dad, I'm just, you know, I try to make myself sound good. Dad, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here trying to, like, you know, cool down, not do anything wrong. You have a lock on the car, and, you know, so I'm obviously not going to drive it anywhere. So what's, what's the big deal? And he says, Drew, you just need to come inside. So I just, I'm like, well, Dad, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not as bad as you say I am. So my dad goes in, realizes that him calling the cops was like his last resort, and it still did nothing. Calls the cops back, and the cops were not as gracious to me this time. They read me my rights, and then they arrested me. They took me to county jail. I was charged with criminal mischief for destroying my dad's property, and then I was charged with stealing my mom's phone. Does it sound petty? Yeah. But there were so many other things I could have on my record, which I don't have this on my record now, for the record. But, <laughs> but there are so many things that God could have exacted on me, but he didn't. But this was one, and I went and I spent the night in county jail. They would not let me sleep. It was kind of cruel and unusual, but I had no rights. I had no rights. So many of us take for granted all of our rights. You focus more on your rights than you do about the king. 
Guys, your rights are irrelevant before the king because our kingdom's not here. Our kingdom is there. So, I was only supposed to be in jail one day. I, the cops told my parents, yeah, you know, just let him spend the night, slap on the wrist, hopefully that'll wake him up. It wouldn't, and it, I didn't stay there just one day. I stayed there five days, um, just due to it being a holiday, then a weekend, then a judge wanted to take a vacation, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I was in the darkest place that I have ever been and hopefully will ever be. I had addictions. I had desires that were so worldly. And in three days' time, all those addictions started to clear. All those things. Because all you did at this correctional facility that they took me to, you sat on a plastic Walmart chair right by your bunk for about eight hours a day. You read a rule sheet that was laminated front and back, and they just told you what you could not do. There was nothing you could do. They only told you what you could not do. You could not look at somebody the way that you wanted to. You could not sit the way that you wanted to. You could not read what you wanted to. They controlled every aspect of your life. But why? I lost my rights. I lost my rights because I broke the law. On the third day, you're, you're supposed to, as the rule sheet said, you're supposed to wait a few weeks, pass the test on all of the rules, and then you can get a book to read. So I'm there three days, and the cart book, book cart lady comes by, collects all the books, leaves. Right after she does, somebody got released, and they had a Bible left. The guard took the Bible, tried to flag down the cart lady, couldn't find her, said, hey, does anybody want this Bible? I said, anything but this daggone rule sheet. <laughs> I didn't actually say that because I wasn't allowed to talk, but I raised my hand so fast it was unbelievable. <laughs> And I, I don't know how to describe what happened. But when I took that Bible and I opened it, and it became more valuable to me than anything, mainly because I had nothing. And all of my, my, my dark clouds of addiction, all of the dark clouds of my life just started to, to, to fade away. And I could just hear God say something to me. It was the most unbelievable two words I had ever heard. It wasn't audible, but I just knew it. It was him talking, and he just said, follow me. Follow me. He said it one time, and out of me, this pitiful, pitiful man, just came the most unbelievable. Okay. Okay. What does it mean to become a disciple? It means saying, okay. I'm emotional because I know that some of you in here are like me. And God's got to rip you apart before he brings you to the point where you say, okay. But I pray and I hope that you don't get there. If you get there, there's such a more peaceful way. Say, okay, today. Follow him today. Become his disciple today. He cares so much about the noun. He cares so much about you. He cares so much about you that he's going to put you through hell until you submit to him. It's who he is. He's a king. All of earth, all of creation submits to him. Why can't you hear his audible voice? Because molecules change when he speaks. Read Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. 
And behold, it came. That's why God talks to us. Not audibly, but in a whisper. And he wants you to just say, okay, become the noun. So a lot of us are the noun. I don't question that. A lot of us are disciples today. So what about the verb? What about the verb? Guys, some of you just eat up making disciples. It's just who you are. But some of you, and myself included, you can look at your life and you say, man, I haven't. I don't know if I've made that many disciples. How do you even do that? What does that look like? Well, Jesus gave us two commands when he was here. It's universal for all Christians. Love God and love people. If you're a Christian, I would assume that you would agree with the fact that you probably love God and love people. But, guys, I think making disciples is a little bit more than that because I think you can love God and love people but still lack a, a force that draws people in to Jesus. A, a, a kind of like a magnetic attraction that just makes people be compelled to say, hey, who's that? What is that? I think Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, verse 44. This, this is how we disciple. This is the answer. It's one of Jesus' shortest parables, but one that will have so much meaning today. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, because it was so important, it was so precious, it was his treasure. And what's the last part of the verse saying? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy... Where is your treasure? Yeah, maybe you're checking the box. You love God and you love people, but where's your treasure? God's kingdom's in heaven. It's not here. Is your treasure here? Is your treasure your house? Is your treasure your car? Is your treasure this building? What is your treasure? Is your treasure food? Because if it's anything but the kingdom of heaven, if it's anything but the king himself, you will not have joy. And without joy, you will not disciple. You know why Jesus was so mad at the Pharisees? They didn't have joy. They had a long list of rules. And they were trying to inflict those same opinions and those same preferences on other people. And there was no joy in that. John 15 11. Justin talked about John 15 just a few weeks ago. It's amazing. Verse 11. We'll go 10 too. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to verse 11. He's wrapping up the first 10 verses before this, and he's saying, This is the point. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you. God's joy. Jesus' joy, he had it here, and he wants to give it to you, and that your joy may be full. Guys, joy is the force that is going to help you make disciples. It must be joy. Philippians 2, we talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. Paul says, complete my joy. Paul's talking to, his, to disciples of his, and he's saying, 
complete my joy. Paul knew that joy was all wrapped up in discipleship. You cannot disciple without joy. You're just going to make robots. It's not cool. Is joy overflowing in your life? That's what God has to give to you today. He wants to give you his joy. So why have I lost joy? James 4 even talks about when we set our minds on things of earth, we become quarrelsome. We become stuff. And we need to give our joy to God. Your joy has to come from God. It doesn't come from things on earth. It comes from God. Worship team can start making their way up. But guys, don't flip burgers. Make disciples. How do you do that? Make sure you're the noun. If you haven't said, okay, to his follow me, you're not a disciple and you have no business in the joy that we're talking about. It's not yours. It's ours. It's mine. Unless you are a Christian, unless you said, okay, to Jesus' follow me, joy's never going to be in your life. Not the joy I have. How do you make disciples? With joy. Psalm 51. The psalmist writes, and we've all heard it, Return to me the joy of my salvation. Guys, when that smoke cleared, when I was sitting in my little Walmart chair in jail, I was the lowest I'd ever been, but I was more joyous than I've ever experienced in my life. Psalm 51.12 says, Return to me the joy of my salvation. How do you disciple people? You can't do it without the joy of your salvation. If there's no joy in your salvation, you might not have done it right. You must have joy. And if you don't have joy, God will give it to you today. You have to draw near to him. Matt's about to sing, Oh, come to the altar. And this is what God put on my heart today. James 4 says, Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. So I'm going to pray. And I have already prayed and fasted over this with God. If you, while Matt sings, oh, come to the altar, come and stand before this stage, I promise that God's Spirit is here to give you joy. You will leave here with joy if you come and you fill this altar, and you worship God here, you get out of your seat, you all got out of your seat to meet each other, I want you to get out of your seat to come meet God. He has joy to give. His Spirit is here today. Please, come to the altar. God, thank you so much for these people. God, you have chosen everyone to be here today. You've granted them safety in their travel through the rain to be here today. God, their safety on the way home might not be there like it was on the way here. We don't know our time. But God, I do know that you have promised joy, complete joy, your joy, to everyone who comes and fills this altar. Thank you for that gift, God. Give it to us all as we draw near to you. Your word says that you will draw near to us. And these things we pray in the name of the King. Amen.